Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Mm-hmm. One through sixteen. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and set them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said, um, and he said to them, "The harvest is plent- is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out." to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, "Um, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Shirazin. Uh, Woe to you, Bethesda. For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have been repentant. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted uh, to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome. I love that you brought a physical copy of the Bible. It feels funny to, uh, in today's day and age to say that, right? 
Um, most people bring their phones. I want to bring like a bunch of copies. If anyone just prefers a physical copy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listen, we're obviously missing a ton of our families here this morning. I hope you guys are able to watch and join in online. We miss you guys. We love you. Um, you know, one of the benefits of being on Zoom is if you're traveling or if you're away from home, uh, you can just sign in and you're there. Uh, one of the benefits of being in person is we get to hear each other's voices, feel each other's presence uh, as we sing together, as we worship together, as we engage with the scriptures on a deeper level. And so um, looking forward to being all back together uh, as we continue in this rhythm of just meeting uh, and worshiping and looking at the scriptures. Um, you know, last week we wrapped up our peacemaking series and I hope it was as beneficial for you guys as it was for us. Uh, we've actually already heard some really cool stories of how Jesus has used that in, in our church and uh, folks that are working through what it means to be a peacemaker and being obedient to the scriptures. And I love it. If you are experiencing any of that, let us know. We want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. Uh, our prayer is that, um, that the day will come when we will look at the conflicts around us uh, as a gift from the Lord. Right? That we will look at the conflicts around us, the things that we are going through as a gift from the Lord, uh, because we believe that God is going to uh, use that conflict to deepen and to strengthen our relationships. You know, one, one day, my hope and my prayer is that we will look at whatever it is that's going on and that's causing tension, and we will say, whatever the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. That is why we did that series. And so uh, uh, for those that are familiar with our teaching calendar and kind of how we structure our calendar year, uh, we structure our calendar year around Jesus Family Mission, right? Surprise, surprise. Um, we have one long-standing series that we're going through that's going to take us a couple of years to work through. Uh, that's the book of Luke. And in that, work, the goal is just to study Jesus. Uh, and then we break up that study over the course of uh, a couple of different uh, times throughout the year where we do a family study in the, in the spring. That's what the peacemaking was. And we do a mission study uh, in the fall, just kind of gearing up for the new academic year. And it's usually a lot of energy in the fall. So it's a great time to be talking about mission. Um, and ho- hopefully by doing that, it breaks up like Luke is 24 chapters long. Right? It would literally, if we just went straight through, it would take us like two and a half years to work through Luke. And so instead of just plowing through one book for two and a half years, we're breaking it up little by little. Um, and it gives us a chance to diversify what we're hearing and talking about. So our goal in studying Luke is simple. We just want to know Jesus. Right? If, you've, uh, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard uh, you know, all the stories, you've been to Sunday school, you've uh, listened to your parents talk about this, it's an opportunity for you to pause, take a step back, uh, and take a fresh look at what Jesus is like. Right? What makes him tick? Right? What makes him angry? What makes him rejoice? If you're newer to the church and to Christianity, it's an opportunity to take a fresh, a brand new look, right? What is he like? And as we grow in our affection for Jesus, I believe we're going to be transformed and empowered to live in the way of Jesus. Okay, this is is the kicker. This is why we do this right here, right? Our love and affection for Jesus is what leads us uh, to have a deep love and affection for one another, 
and for our city. If we pursue just family and mission without pursuing Jesus, we're going to fail. Right? We're going to have a very broken church. Right? But when we pursue Jesus, when we grow in our affection for Jesus, uh, for the gospel, for the scriptures, family and mission flow out of that. This is the engine that drives those things. So we're actually in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And uh, if you haven't read the first nine chapters in a while, uh, do it. All right, uh, Sometime this week, uh, take, uh, take a couple of minutes and go through the first nine chapters. Kind of refresh your memory. Um, Luke generally breaks down his entire book into three sections that are uh, that are kind of centered around geographic regions. Okay, the first section is uh, the first nine chapters, and it happens um, in um, uh, in the Galilee area. Jesus is doing ministry there. He's collecting his disciples and and tra- training his disciples, and he's healing and teaching about the kingdom in the Galilee region. Starting in chapter end of chapter nine through. Uh, uh, towards the end of the book, Jesus is actually on a journey. He has set his mind for Jerusalem and he's headed that way, okay? And so it's literally all the people he meets along the way, all the conversations he has along the way. And then the last segment of Luke is in Jerusalem. It's this final week, the Passion Week. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happens there. And so that's the last section. And so uh, up until now, if you remember, Jesus has chosen 12 disciples, uh, that are his primary go-to guys, right? He's taking them along with him into uh, special intimate moments where they get to see him uh, do some incredible miracles and uh, they get to firsthand wrestle with who Jesus is. Uh, but we know from context, from scripture, from history, that Jesus had more disciples than just the 12, okay? Uh, there are times are thousands of people that are following Jesus uh, all over um, Israel, and so our passage this morning is focusing on 72, right? Why 72? Uh, if we're talking, if we're including the 12, then it's the 12 plus five per, for each disciple. So each, almost like a, there's almost like a, I teach you while you teach someone else situation going on. Uh, if they're 12 or not included in that number, then it's six each, right? So I have, as I'm following Jesus, I have five or six other disciples that I'm helping to pass on what Jesus has taught me. And this is the second Timothy 2.2 uh, principle, right? What, I, what you've heard from me, entrust to others who will be faithful to entrust it to others, right? Jesus is starting that even now. So let me, let me ask you this. This morning, we're looking at Jesus's uh, group leader training, right? We get a, a little sneak peek at Jesus's group leader training. He's about to send them out to do some very important tasks, And so he sets up a group leader training to talk to them about what they're supposed to do and what they can expect. This is just really, really good leadership uh, 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 habits, right? When when you give someone a new task, you want to walk them through, here's how you're going to do this. And here's what you can expect is going to happen so that that person can go out and then learn uh, as they go. Let me ask you this. How important is it to have appropriate expectations in life? Right, how important? Very important. Thank you, Brittany. It's very important, right? When you went to college, right? If you went to college, high school, whatever, uh, how important was it for you to have appropriate expectations? Right? How many? How many of you didn't have the appropriate expectations? And college was a slap in the face, <laughs> right? What about uh, marriage? Um, yeah. 
Right? For those of us that are married, how, appro- how important was it to have appropriate expectations for marriage? Right? Uh, probably thought, you know, never going to fight, everything's going to be great, hunky-dory, no issues, all right? and this smacks you in the face. Right? Um, kids, job, we can go on and on and on. Right? If, you have a, if, you're, if you have a new employee that you're, you're bringing on board, you've got to walk them through, give them appropriate expectations. Right? The goal is to be on the same page. Uh, Brittany and I are actually about to start doing some premarital counseling with a couple that wants to get married soon. Uh, and you know, one of our goals in premarital counseling is to talk through finances and communication and upbringing, conflict resolution, all these different things that the goal is just get on the same page. Have you guys talked about these various things? right? And when we communicate our expectations, uh, even if they're not aligned yet, that's okay. If they're not aligned yet, at least we have a chance to talk about it and work through how we're going to align. And uh, we have this phrase that we use all the time in our, in our, uh, when we do premarital. Uh, it, it goes like this. It says, an expectation that is not communicated is just a hope. Right? Communication is not communicated, just a hope. That's true today. That's true for marriage. That's true for anything. Right? If you have an expectation for someone, but you don't speak that to them, it's just wishful thinking. You're hoping that they do that. Right? Also, you could take that a step further. Communic- uh, uh, an expectation that is communicated but not received is also just a hope. Right? So when I communicate to you and I say, hey, this is kind of what I expect from you, or, uh, and, and, and I have to make sure that you understand what I said and you're on the same page, and then we can move forward and be on the same page. Um, so in our passage this morning, Jesus is laying out some instructions and some expectations for his disciples. Right now, this is very similar instructions to what he told to the 12 back in chapter 9. So I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time talking about the instructions. Uh, Eric did a great job talking about the significance of all of those things back when he taught in chapter 9. You can go back in the podcast, go back in Facebook and listen to that teaching and, and they'll talk through why did they shake the dust off? Why did they uh, go into certain houses and, and talk in a specific way? Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's, we're not going to talk about that today. Today we're going to talk about the expectations that Jesus sets for them, right? And it's important for you and me to remember that the Bible is written for us, but not to us, right? Historical context is important here, right? Jesus is in a training session for 72 Middle Eastern disciples who lived 2,000 years ago in an agricultural society very far away from here, right? So we, it is our job as we read the scriptures to, to read the, what, what Jesus is saying, interpret it in light of um, the context, the historical context, the cultural context, and then pull out the principles that we apply to our lives. If we don't do that, uh, we're going to get some really funky theology out of this passage. Okay? Um, let's pray. Let's jump into it. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to gather together, uh, to look at your word. We believe that when we spend time in your scriptures, something special happens. Your Holy Spirit convicts us, challenges us, speaks to us, makes us more like you. I pray, Jesus, that as we, as we read this together, as we talk about it together, that your Holy Spirit would just transform our hearts, would light our hearts on fire for you, that we'd fall more in love with you, Jesus. We love you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Also, Matt, there were some tough words in there. You crushed it. Right? I, don't, I don't even know how to pronounce half of them. Just kind of say it boldly and confidently and everyone assumes that you know what you're talking about. 
Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was to go. So uh, just before this passage, Luke, uh, Luke said that Jesus was walking through a Samaritan town. And in this Samaritan town, as he, uh, as he was trying to do ministry, the, the Samaritans rejected him. Uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with a group of Jewish people that were going through to Jerusalem. Uh, and so Jesus, I don't know if he's trying to ad- adapt to that. I don't know if he's trying to plan ahead. He actually breaks up 72 disciples, sends them on two by two into the towns that he's about to go in order to see. All right, are these people going to accept or reject? Do, like, which towns do I want to make sure I focus in on? And which towns have already rejected this that I just need to, I need to move along, right? I need to make sure I don't spend too much time. He doesn't have a ton of time, right? Passover is coming. He's got to get to Jerusalem before Passover, okay? Uh, and so he picks these 72 disciples. Uh, he does some training with them, and he sends them out two by two, right? Why does he do two by two? Is this some, some sort of Jehovah Witness move? No. Uh, is number one for accountability. Right? It is for their accountability uh, so that uh, not only can I uh, be accountable to the scriptures, be accountable to the mission that God has given me, uh, can, we can hold one another accountable to the, what we're saying, how we're proceeding. Uh, number two, it was to strengthen and encourage one another. You're doing some dangerous and difficult and challenging work, and you need someone that's going to come along and say, all right, I'm here with you. I'm watching your back. We're working together. You can do this. Right? Jesus uh, is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Keep going. Right? And number three, and this is an important one, it was for credibility. Uh, in the Old Testament, we're told that uh, when, you, when you go into court to accuse someone, Right, someone stole something from you or did something to you, you had to have at least two witnesses right, to verify and validate what was being said. Right, so they're about to have some tough conversations uh, with, with these different towns and villages. Uh, and as, we, as Matt read earlier, they're going to have some villages that are going to reject what they're saying. And these two disciples are now the witnesses that say, I, we saw this happen. We witnessed this happen. Okay? So let's talk about the expectations that Jesus sets out for his disciples. There's four of them. And I love them because they are actually super practical for us. Right? What are the expectations Jesus sets for his disciples? Number one, uh, he tells them to expect a harvest. Right. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, listen to this. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Right. Jesus uses an agricultural term. It makes sense to them. They're an agricultural society. Right. He's going to use the tools at his, uh, at his uh, disposal in order to help them understand what's going on here. Uh, and so for them, a good harvest is the matter of life and death. Right? If you do not have a good harvest, it's a difference between freedom and slavery. Right? And what's incredible here is Jesus says the harvest is skimpy, right? There's barely any pickings out there. There's nothing really for us to find. No, he says the harvest is plentiful. Right? There's a ton of harvest available for you. Right? It is all out there. I love that he says, don't pray for more harvest. Pray for more harvesters. 
Right? This is, for you and me, this is challenging. We live in New England, right? It feels like sometimes, like the harvest is measly, right? Where is the harvest? And Jesus says, it is plentiful. And what you need is not more harvest. What you need is more harvesters. Right? He tells them to expect the harvest. Number two, he tells them to expect opposition. Behold, uh, so he says, verse three, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Uh, in Israel, again, agricultural, and they have lots of shepherds. And so you're familiar with the, the one job of a shepherd is keep the sheep away from the wolves. Keep the wolves away from the sheep, right? We're good to go. If we can do that thing, we're good. Right? I've done my job. And so Jesus recognizes that when he's sending out the 72, there's a certain level of danger and opposition that they're going to encounter. Right? And this is one of the reasons why it's so important for them to go as a team. Right? There are certain people in the towns, in the villages, in the homes that they would visit that would be in opposition to God's kingdom. Right? Not everyone is going to accept Jesus' message. And he says, I'm sending out like little lambs, like baby sheep. Right? But here's the thing. Not everyone they're going to meet is going to be a wolf. Right? For you and me, that can be a fear sometimes, right? We're afraid that if I speak up, if I talk about Jesus, the kingdom of God, what the, uh, the church is supposed to be about, we're afraid that every person I'm gonna meet is gonna be a wolf. That's not everyone, right? There are gonna be people who are opposed, but that's not everyone, right? So expect a harvest, expect opposition. Number three, he tells them to expect providence. Let's sprinkle that in there. Right, expect providence. Uh, verse four, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, go quickly. Uh, we don't have time to do a lot of prep. Just go. Right? Uh, Middle Eastern um, uh, greetings were lengthy. Jesus says, don't even stop to do the lengthy normal greetings. You, you've got a mission. Go, go, go. Right, verse 5, whatever house you enter, say first, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from that house. Right, whatever town you enter, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Right, so again, Jesus' day, uh, if you leave for a, a, a trip, right, you're not going to swing by Target to pick up an extra pair of sandals. Right? You're not going to swing by an ATM to pick up some cash for dinner. Right? You have to bring everything with you that you need for your journey. And Jesus is telling them, in this case, I actually just want you to trust that God will provide. I just want you to go. Right? Your needs will be met. All right, and this is where this particular section right here is where uh, we can get some hairy theology if we don't read this and understand this correctly. Okay, some people read a passage like this and say, man, this just means that when I go to be a missionary somewhere, I can't raise support, I can't do any planning, I just gotta go, I gotta trust what the Holy Spirit's provided for me. And, and if you do raise support, if you do plan for it, you're not trusting the Holy Spirit, so you're sinning. Right? I've had people say this to me. 
And there have been missionaries that I know of in time, in history rather, uh, that have gone out and trusted the Holy Spirit would provide. And he has, and it's beautiful, right? But is it inappropriate for us to make a plan, to raise some support, uh, to make sure that our, our needs are provided for? Absolutely not, right? It all depends on what God has called you to. Right? If God has called you to go and go quickly and just trust him to provide for it, then go. Right? Sometimes, yes, I, the, the, the Lord does say, man, all your ducks aren't in a row, but I just want you to go. Because if you wait until all your ducks are in a row, you're not going to go. Sometimes, I, if that's what the Lord is calling me to, if I know that I'm a staller, right, I need to be bold and take a step of faith, even though it doesn't feel like I'm ready. And yet, at other times, Jesus encourages his disciples to be prepared. Actually, in Luke chapter 22, he's, he reminds them, he says, remember back in chapter 10, uh, when I told you guys to leave your sandals, leave your money bag, don't bring anything, just go. It's like, actually, now I want you to bring your extra bag, bring an extra coat, actually sell a couple of things and, and buy a sword because you're going to need it, right? There are different times, different missions, different callings, and Jesus recognizes both of those. So sometimes God's going to call us to take a step of faith and just take a leap of faith and not know who, how we're going to get provided for. And sometimes he calls us to be prepared. Okay? Right? It, it, with this, with the, these particular 72 disciples, right, Jesus wanted them to learn uh, that God is a God of providence. Right? He's going to go before them. He's going to prepare the way. He's going to open their hearts uh, of the people they're going to meet. He's going to break down walls. He's going to provide for their food, their shelter, their clothing, right? They are fully and wholly and completely dependent on him, right? What about you and me, right? In today's day and age, do I actually believe that God is going before me? Do I expect that God is going before me? Right, that he's working in the lives of the people around me. That he's appointing conversations that are coming your way, my way. Do I believe that? He tells them to expect a harvest. He tells them to expect opposition. He tells them to expect providence. And then lastly, he tells them to expect a response. A response. Luke chapter 10 Verse eight says this. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God is near, has come near. Notice, by the way, that whether the response is reception or rejection, the message is the same. Okay? If they receive you, tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. If they reject you, tell them, the kingdom of God has come near. Like the message is the same. We're only responsible for the message. Right? The Holy Spirit is responsible for the results. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. 
And this is where we get into that that witnesses, the, the credibility factor, or the two people become like Old Testament prophets. All of this is, is very Old Testament prophet language where uh, they're, they're, uh, they are literally wiping off the dust and saying, um, you, you have made your decision. And we're going to leave you to that decision. Right? Jesus isn't saying stay there and beat them until, uh, until they accept the message. He's saying if they make the decision, let it be. Let it go. Right? Move on to the next town that is going to receive you. Right? Ultimately, they are going to give an account to God for their decision. And so for us, yeah, some people are going to be receptive to the message of the kingdom. Some people are not going to be receptive to the message. Uh, The key here, however, is you and I can't make that decision for them. I can't look at a coworker or a neighbor and say, man, they're they're so into X, Y, and Z, they'll never accept Jesus. What I'm doing there is I am making their decision for them. I'm rejecting Jesus for them. Jesus wants them to make their own decision. And if someone rejects Jesus, doesn't mean I don't love them. doesn't mean I don't continue to be friends with them. doesn't mean I ignore them and, and, and move on to whoever else and never talk to them again. I'm going to continue to love, continue to pursue, continue to be friends with. But I'm also going to respect the decision they've made. Okay? And then he, Jesus closes with a list of woes. Woes are like the opposites of a blessing. Sometimes Jesus says, hey, blessed is the person who does this. In some cases, Jesus says, woe is the person that does this. This is, again, Old Testament prophet language. And there's a principle here uh, that, uh, that is important. That uh, The principle is that uh, with great revelation comes great responsibility, right? Uh, the more revelation I have, the more evidence I have that God is alive and working among, among, uh, around me, uh, the more responsible I am to the revelation I've received. And so he names a couple of cities. He says, you know, uh, um, 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 Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. These were very wicked cities in the Old Testament. So those people, if they had seen what Capernaum and Bethsaida had seen, man, they would have repented like, like Nineveh did. And yet, these so-called godly cities are rejecting Jesus. And he says they are going to be held to a higher standard of responsibility. So how do these four expectations change how we perceive and how we partake in God's mission today? This is a very missional text. It's all about how we go out, what we're supposed to expect, what we're supposed to plan for. I think for many of us, we fail to believe that the, the harvest is plentiful. We need to repent of that. Right? We either believe that everyone is a wolf or that nobody's a wolf. Right? We need to repent of that. Right? We fail to step out in faith, trusting that God is going before us. We need to repent of that. Right? And we fail to call people to a response. Right? We make the response for them. Right? We fail to call people to a response. Right, guys, this is an area of repentance and confession for us. And it takes some internal wrestling uh, and asking the Holy Spirit, is this something that I'm doing? Which of these four are, is, is one that you have to confess today? Right, Jesus, I 
I don't believe that there's a harvest out there and I need to repent of that. I believe, and I believe that you are going before me preparing a harvest, right? That you're uh, preparing hearts, that you're convicting people of sin, calling my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends to yourself, even, even, even though I don't see it right now. Uh, I was actually, so our car was in the shop for, uh, for a couple of weeks uh, and on Wednesday, I got the call to go ahead and go pick it up. Um, and it was quicker for me just to grab an Uber, right, and, and, just, and just go over rather than wait for someone to be able to come and drive me over. So I call an Uber, I jump in, uh, and I look, and the guy's name is, you know, Emmanuel. I'm like, oh, that's fun. God with us, right? Emmanuel. And so we're chatting, and we go through the typical Uber questions. You know what I'm talking about. Like, how long have you been an Uber driver? Um, you know, what's the craziest thing you've heard or seen? Uh, those, these are the kinds of things I, I talk about. I, I tell them about how I used to drive for Uber for a little while uh, and kind of commiserate together. Uh, and so as we're chatting, it you know, comes out that I'm a pastor. Um, and I ask him, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people, by the way. I ask him, um, Emmanuel, uh, do you have any kind of faith background? It's a pretty safe question to ask. Right? I'm not asking if they're of any particular faith background. Just what, what is it? Like what's, your, what's your faith background? Do you have any kind of faith background? Uh, and he starts telling me about how he actually was Cape Verdean and grew up in, um, uh, I actually don't know if he grew I think he grew up in Cape Verde uh, and moved here uh, not too long ago. He said, my family is, is all Catholic. I grew up going to a Catholic church and I grew up actually was an altar boy at one point. Uh, he says, when I moved to the States, I was uh, working two different jobs and I was trying to do school and I didn't have time for church anymore. So I stopped going. Um, and so we're talking a little bit about, about what that meant for him. I asked him, I said, hey, um, you know, did you go to church simply because it was a family thing and everyone was always going or was it your choice? And uh, he said, well, you know, it was just our family thing. Everyone kind of went, so I went along. Um, and he said, you know, I've, he said, he said to me, I've actually been thinking about checking out a church again. Um, he said, now that I'm driving for Uber, I have a little bit more time on my hands, and I've been thinking about maybe taking a look at church again. And I said, like, conveniently, I'm helping start a church. And so I was able to talk to him about uh, gospel community and, and what we're about. Um, man, it is the Holy Spirit's job to do the rest of the work in his heart. It is my job to speak the message of the gospel. Right? What about you? Right? What expectations do you have of God? Do you have any? Are your expectations too low for God? Right? Is there an area where you need to repent and confess of your low expectations? Right? Your, your, your expectations don't line up with what Jesus wants you to expect. Right? True mission starts with a powerful, hopeful, humble expectation that God has gone before us, that he's prepared a harvest, that he's provided for our needs, that he's going to protect us from opposition, and that he just wants to invite us uh, to rejoice in seeing how he's going to work through us. Next week, Eric's going to uh, be teaching. He's going to talk, talk through this passage where they come back and they're just abuzz with rejoicing because of the ways that God worked through them. All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We, we recognize that there are many times where we fail. Uh, we forget 
uh, that you've, you've given us these promises, Lord. We need to repent and confess of our low expectations for you, Jesus. Right? That we don't believe that, we, that, that you're working around us, you're working ahead of us. I need to repent of that, Jesus. Uh, even as we move from this space, Lord, would you continue to increase our faith that you are working around us, Lord. Love you so much, Jesus. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.